It's time for episode 157 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 5th, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, where every topic we do is an October surprise, at least this month. I'm Jason Snell, and across the internet from me, my co-host, as always, Mr. Dan Morin. Hi, Dan. Hi, Jason. Uh, October itself, I find sometimes surprising. Just sneaks up on you like that. It does. And the, the weather turns, and especially where you are, the weather really turns. It's, it's and chilly here already, although I think it's supposed to get hot again at the end of the week, because this is, this is why I never take my air conditioner out until like mid-October. <laughs> So we talk about four technology topics on Clockwise with two wonderful guests, and this is no exception to the rule. We have two wonderful guests today. To my left, uh, she's been on many times before, it's Shelley Brisbane. Welcome back again. Thank you, and happy Oktoberfest, especially to you, Jason. Happy Oktoberfest, indeed. Uh, to my left, our other guest, co-host of the Mac Power Users podcast here on Relay FM, Mr. Max Sparky himself, David Sparks. Hi, David. Hi, Dan. Welcome back. I'm ready to talk Clockwise. All right. All right. We will, we were going to, we're going to spin in that direction then. Let me start with the first topic. Google's latest event was on Tuesday. They announced a whole bunch of stuff. The Pixel phone, which is built by Google. Google Home, the Google Assistant comes on the Pixel phone. We've seen that before, but they talked about it a lot. There's a bunch of virtual reality stuff. And I'm just curious, what is it that Google's doing from that menu of things or something else that, uh, right now that you find most interesting and why? Shelley? I'm going to take it to a personal level because the thing I'm most interested in is their continued development of Chromecast. I just love the idea that you have something so straightforward and so simple that you can plug in and point your phone at and make images or music or video appear. And it's not as uh, sexy or tied into the Google ecosystem as some of the uh, bigger deal products, but I'm still digging it. And it seems like they've taken it to to the next level, pardon the expression, uh, with the Ultra, which uh, now does 4K video. I'm not sure whether it has any other additional features, but it does seem like it's a pretty uh, kind of low maintenance, uh, low complexity level way, if it works, to actually uh, to, to get your audio and video and images where you want them with a little less fuss and muss than some of the other solutions out there. Uh, I, you know, I think of all the things that they talked about, the one that I find the most interesting is probably Google Home. However, maybe we'll talk about a little bit more about that in a bit. And the next thing that I also am really interested in is the Daydream VR system. Not so much because I think that it in of itself will be something that I end up using, but uh, because it's another pointer towards this this burgeoning VR field. Uh, right around now, we're also starting to get the the reviews drop for the PlayStation VR, which comes out soon. Um, and so it seems like we're first we're getting more and more of these VR products to hit the marketplace. What I think is interesting about the way uh, Google's implementing it: not only do they have an interesting hardware design for this, it's made out of cloth rather than like hard plastic in a lot of places, which is kind of fascinating. Um, they're trying to make something that's a little a little more attractive than the VR headsets that we've seen so far, um, bring a little more design to it. And I think that it shows that there is a lot of interest for VR even in the mobile space. It's, it's unclear exactly how much the adoption will, will happen there, but certainly having Google putting a, good, a big push behind it uh, could help bolster that. So I, I'm interested, I've been interested in the VR thing. Uh, it's yet to hit a point where there's a product that I really want to go out and buy, but I feel like with all these people working on it, including Google, that the, uh, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. We're going we're gonna to see a lot more of this next year. I think I'm really interested in the Pixel phone, and not that I particularly want one. I'm an iPhone guy, but it's interesting to me, these companies that have been watching Apple make 
you dump truck, you know, loads of hundred dollar bills on all these phones they make, and they're not getting into the game that much. Uh, Google has a, a mobile operating system that's very successful. It's probably the most successful in the world if you look at the statistics, but yet they've never really fully embraced being a phone maker. And it looks to me like they're kind of pushing that way. I don't know how that'll affect the other people in the marketplace, and I don't know if it'll ultimately be successful. But if I was Google, I'd be really interested in making my own phones too. So I'm curious to see what happens with this new Pixel phone. Yeah, I'm uh, similar to David. I'm I'm intrigued by the Pixel phone and what it means. This is at least the third time that we've been told that Google is going to make a phone, and here we go. And th- this is their most serious attempt. The the Nexus phones, you know, were sort of. I, I don't know, maybe misinterpreted, but and maybe sold, but they they were definitely meant for. Uh uh, they seemed to be covered in a much larger way than the impact they made. Let's put it that way. So the Pixel, I think Pixel phone is going to be different and it's going to be bigger for them. But that's what I find most interesting about Google, honestly, is them struggling with this idea of being a phone maker versus being a, a, a platform vendor that has hardware partners. And you see Microsoft struggling with it with the Surface, too, where they have spent a lot of time and a lot of money building their own product while also having partners. And Surface is a very interesting product and it's got a lot of fans but it hasn't had like an enormous success in the market either so i'm interested to see how pixel does as a product and also how google walks the line between offering services on hardware because you know they can offer services uh, on all Android phones, or at least all recent Android phones, and yet some of them are being limited to the Pixel, where they make a lot of money, presumably by selling it, including uh, unlimited storage, uh, cloud storage, when you buy a Pixel, uh, and the Google Assistant feature, which is at present only on the Pixel. So I think that's an interesting challenge for them as a platform vendor to sequester features, at least for a certain amount of time, onto their hardware. That's unusual for them, and uh, we'll we'll see how it goes, but it, it's hard to think that it won't change their relationship with their their hardware partners when they've got a competitor right across the hall at Google. Um, we'll see. Uh, that's one topic down. Thanks all for your thoughts. Shelley, time for topic number two. What do you have for us? Well, considering that Google has made a lot of announcements this week, I thought I'd go contrarian and bring an Apple topic to the table because we hardly ever do that on Clockwise. So <laughs> Apple... <laughs> Um, so, so Apple has released something called Spoken Editions, uh, which turns articles from publishers like Time and Wired and Huffington Post and others into human-voiced audio programs that are distributed via podcasts, app, and iTunes. This is not the first time either Apple or other companies have been involved in this sort of thing. And uh, leaving aside the specifics of the implementation, which I have some things to say about, I suppose, uh, is this something that you as a consumer are interested in and what features would make it really compelling to have content from uh, publishers that you like uh, read to you uh, in, uh, in, in, and, uh, and if, not, if not compelling, uh, what would be a deal killer for you for that sort of a service? Well, see, here's the thing for me. I, this, is, this is not a thing that is for me. And, and part of that is because I already have so much audio content that I feel like I just don't have time to consume based on my day. So, you know, I have tons of podcasts that I'd like to listen to, uh, but I just my, can't do it while working usually. I don't have a commute, so I, I'm pretty limited. Uh, I, I listen to the radio a decent amount when I am doing things like washing dishes or driving in the car. So that already fills a lot of that time for me. Um, so this product, I, I don't think there's anything they could do necessarily that would make it 
super appealing to me. That said, I think that it's great that there is a, a niche for this. I mean, and, and not only because some people like that content, but also just from an accessibility point of view, uh, you know, making it easier for people who, who can't, you know, or who are visually impaired and can't read articles, uh, rather can get them sort of read to them. Uh, you know, that's that's certainly a a good uh, a good reason to do this. I, I think of stuff like, uh, you know, just from other in other areas like where Netflix was doing the uh, sort of narration of some of its shows, you know, rather having having the uh, uh, action read aloud, for that's example, descriptive. Yeah, descriptive. descriptive text, thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, I, I think stuff like that's great. I think this is where technology really shines, where you can show, hey, look, there's any number of ways to consume this content and we want to make it as widely accessible as possible. Um, and so from that standpoint, I think it's a great idea. I can see why publishers like the idea, at least from, you know, in, in depending on how they can they get metrics out of this and whatever. But, uh, you know, uh, despite all that, I, I think this is probably not something I'll end up using. Yeah, I think it's a commuter's dream. If you want to get these news sources, it's really hard to find time. One of the features I really like in some of the read it later services uh, is where they've added the ability to have your phone read an article that you have marked to you. And I use that on occasion. Uh, to me, the whole thing here is going to be, you know, content is king. Wired tech crunch time Huffington Post. What are the other publishers that are going to get in on this? And how easy is it going to be for a user in the morning to say, OK, I want you know this, this and this. So when I get in the car, I've got a nice queued up list of articles that I can listen to on my way to work. And, you know, it's it's in the implementation, which uh, with Apple isn't necessarily a given anymore. So hopefully they do it right. And it's also in the content. So we'll see what happens. But I think that's a I think it's a good move. Yeah, I think making this available is great because it does allow publishers to reach uh, people who might not otherwise be able to consume their content. That said, I've, I'm a little skeptical about it because uh, written content like this is is essentially written to be read, not written to be spoken. But I, I'm somebody who's got too many podcasts to listen to. If I was a, uh, somebody who didn't have time to read the newspaper but had a commute that was lengthy enough for me to get key articles read to me, uh, and that was my choice, that was my option, was to do it that way, I would do it that way. I would I would do that in a heartbeat. So it, it's, it's a cool idea. I'm a little skeptical of whether it's better than stuff that's actually produced for audio, um, reading stuff that was written, you know, to be read. But uh, having more stuff like this in the world is a good thing. So I consume a lot of audio like you, and I also have a whole workflow that sends articles from the web to or Twitter to Instapaper to an app that speaks them in a very good automated voice. So this is not an unfamiliar uh, concept to me. And I like the idea of human voicing because, in theory, that means you're going to get better audio, uh, better sounding articles than uh, what you would hear from some sort of uh, synthetic speech voice. However, uh, my first comment when I, when I heard this is this is like the interns are reading from uh, yeah. from Wired <laughs> Post or whoever. And, uh, you know, God love interns. We need them. But I don't think they should be doing the art. I think they've improved, actually. Some I've heard in the most recent days uh, have been a little better. My issue, actually, is the ability to select content. And I feel as if this is an interesting idea for a commuter who might have uh, publish- publishers that they like or lots of content sources that they like, uh, but doesn't have the ability to necessarily get as much as they want. So, so far, these publishers seem to be producing maybe one or two bits a day. And if I'm interested in reading TechCrunch and don't have time to actually sit down and read it and would like it consumed in audio, I probably want to read more than one article. And I probably would like some mechanism for choosing uh, what to read before my commute. Maybe it pops up in Notification Center in the morning and I say yes to that one, no to that one. And I essentially create a playlist. So I want more control and I essentially want an audio newspaper, but I want the ability to manage it in a more sophisticated way. And uh, I am, uh, you know, 
fully capable of creating workarounds and workflows that make that happen in exactly the way I want to. But I'm not convinced that this is going to be compelling for people who are already happy with audio either because they consume a lot of podcasts or because they are using audible channels or, in my case, using uh, the uh, very good audio digest of the New York Times that I get from Audible every morning that is read by a professional broadcaster. So... uh, I, I just like I feel customization and, and the ability to control it and also the ability to understand it without a lot of workarounds and workflows like I do it is going to be key for this to be successful. Obviously, from the publisher's point of view, inserting ads is what it's all about. And I don't have a real issue with that. But I feel like uh, the content may not make it possible for, for them to be successful enough to insert ads if they don't get more stuff than they have right now. All right, we have two topics done. We have two more topics to go. Do the math, that means it's halftime. Let me tell you about our halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Casper. Casper, not the friendly ghost. No, 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 the company that's focused on sleep. Casper has made one perfect mattress. It sells directly to consumers. So there's no commission-driven inflated prices at the uh, at the mattress store. It's revolutionized mattress uh, delivery. Um, it comes in a box. You open it up, and it, uh, and it expands to its full size. You don't have to deal with resellers or showrooms. Uh, it was designed in-house at Casper. This is They invented it. It has a uh, sleek design. They also, in addition to the mattress, now have a pillow and some very nice sheets. I have those. I bought those because I like, I bought them, I tried them, I like them, and I kept them. I guess that'll be my endorsement for that product. Uh, An in-house team of engineers at Casper spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It is obsessively engineered, despite having a shockingly fair price. It's got springy latex, supportive memory foam. You put them all together, you create a mattress that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce. It's got a breathable design, so it regulates your temperature throughout the night. Mattresses can often cost uh, over $1,500, but a Casper mattress starts at $500 for a twin, $600 for a Twin extra long, seven fifty for full, eight fifty for queen, and nine fifty for king, and they're all made in the USA. Buying a Casper mattress is risk free. You get free delivery and free returns with a hundred night home trial. So if you don't love it, they will take it away and refund you all of your money. They understand the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit to it. It's not something you could do in a showroom, but you can do it in your own home with Casper. And you can get fifty dollars toward any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com/clockwise and use. Using the code clockwise. Terms and conditions apply. Thank you so much to Casper for being the halftime sponsor of Clockwise. All right, Dan, halftime is over. It's time for your topic. Well, as I alluded to up top uh, of the Google announcements earlier this week, the one that I, I was very interested in was Google Home. And that's, of course, because I'm a big Amazon Echo user. Um, and so my question for you guys are uh, based on the, inf- you know, sort of what we've seen from the demos and what they've talked about. Does a smarter, you know, sort of a smarter AI leveraging Google's, you know, existing uh, systems and and all of their research into that uh, and the combination of that with the, their own ecosystem and the fact that they have all these services and all these other devices, does that position the home to displace something like the Echo? Is Amazon's first mover advantage hard to catch? Will we just end up with parallel tracks of all these at-home computer systems? Uh, any thoughts on that, David? I feel like we all have to choose our walled garden at this point. You look at all this stuff, home automation, uh, this this voice assistant. Everybody has their own ecosystem, and you know everybody's going to have their various components you pick. So the Google one isn't as interesting to me because I'm not a big user of Google products. But if I was, I think it would be great. I mean, Google's very good at voice recognition. Uh, they've got that cloud thing figured out pretty good. So I would imagine that it's it's really impressive. 
for me personally, uh, Dan, you maybe remember when I first got my Amazon Echo, I wrote you an email saying this thing doesn't make sense to me. What do I need this for? You know, and then now I have two of them. So go figure. <laughs> but the um, uh, I think, you know, for me, I don't think it's that that compelling because I'm not that far in Google's, you know, ecosystem. But I, I am curious that each vendor is coming up with their own thing. And it seems like everybody's very happy to make their own thing, just deal with their stuff and lock everybody else out. Yeah, I don't think that um, Amazon's uh, Amazon does have a first mover advantage here, but this is so early days in terms of intelligent assistance. And uh, Amazon started from nothing and had to build up to get to the point where where Echo is now. Whereas Google Home doesn't exist as a product; it's just coming out. But the Google Assistant technology has been around for a while and in Google's phones and even in Google's apps on phones that are not Android phones. So um, they they they've been doing a lot of the pre-work before putting it in a in a box but you know david's point is absolutely right so much of this is about ecosystems and some of them are compatible across multiple ecosystems and some of them aren't and it can be uh you know it can be a a challenge to mix and match too so i have a lot of stuff in the google ecosystem so this might actually work for me but at the same time and i love their their assistant technology i think it's really they're they're the best at doing this stuff but i'm not sure whether it fits in my life and all the products i have in my home and I'm also not sure that I want to commit to the add-ons that would be required to make it really good. I guess you get a YouTube Red subscription with this, which is interesting. But then, you know, if you want to do Google Music or or, or Spotify, like I've, I paid Amazon for some Amazon Music access in order to get that working on the Echo. So I don't know. I'm intrigued by it, and it could be way better than the Echo. I mean, I, I feel like it's all to, still to play for. I also hope Apple will make a product in this class because I'd like to see that because I'm in, in that ecosystem too. But right now, I, you know, I think it's a wide open playing field and it's uh, interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see what Google does and if they can take on the Echo. I think Google is going to have to put up with some of the usual, well, you're copying the Echo or you're too late to the game stories. But once they get over that, I think we can evaluate this stuff a little further once we learn more and once people actually start putting these things through their paces. I agree with David and I have an issue with the whole walled garden ecosystem because I've kept all of them at arm's length to some extent. I'm probably more bought in on Apple than any of them, but I don't have an Echo. And my, my joke always is, and people hate it when I say this, is that I don't really want to buy stuff from Amazon, so I'm not going to buy an Echo. And I realize that it does more than that. But for me, that's a, a big perception issue, and I feel like I have to buy into more of Amazon's ecosystem than I wish to. And certainly that's going to be true with Google. I use some Google products, uh, and I haven't gone all in, but I'm certainly probably more like I'm certainly probably, that's a good way to put it, I'm probably more likely to get a Google Home than I ever would be to get an Echo because to me it makes sense in terms of the way I use things uh, in, in my house. But I don't feel compelled to jump one way or another, and I think it's actually quite early to figure out whether uh, Google is going to be able to, to catch Amazon or what that even means. Are we, are we talking about having uh, more literal installations of home? Or are we talking about home actually providing more revenue based on products it's able to sell through the Google, Google ecosystem? I think it's going to take a while for, to sort all that out. And of course, uh, we still have Apple on the horizon with rumors that they're going to do something like this as well. So probably there are going to be a few people out there in uh, the kind of work we do that are going to have all three in our houses talking to one another. And that's just going to be crazy when you say talking to another i think you mean plotting together <laughs> indeed, to, indeed yeah 
Um, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I think that, you know, we talked about uh, you guys brought up walled gardens and ecosystems, stuff like that. The the Echo is actually surprisingly good about that because in part, Amazon is fairly limited in some of the things that it does offer, right? Unlike Google or Apple, it doesn't necessarily have a humongous ecosystem of web service, like things like email calendaring, you know, a lot of these things that, that really sort of lock you into a particular system. And as such, it tends to work with a pretty wide variety of APIs. They've actually been really good about opening it up and and it works in some ways i mean i looked at the initial list anyways of the stuff that google home was launching with in terms of like home integration stuff and it's far far smaller than the echo list um so you know i i think I think it's true that a lot of people who've bought into one set of products or another or just have, you know, whatever brand allegiance um, are probably going to jump one way or another if they want such a product. Um, I certainly, if Apple came out with such a, a device, I would definitely be interested in checking out. I'm interested in looking at Google's if only because I do think that it has a big advantage in terms of. Uh, you know, all the information they've collected over the years about how people phrase queries and the like. It seems like a perfect extension of what they already do with the Google search engine and have been doing for a very long time. And so that potentially gives them a really big leg up in terms of just the interactions with that device. So I, I think we're probably going to end up in a situation much like things like smartphones or tablets or computers, whatever, where we just have competing brands of these particular category of products and everybody's going to pick the one that really works for them. And, and they might do, you know, 80 percent of the same things and then 20% different you might prioritize that differently depending on who you are but uh, I'm interested in this category um, and I hope to soon have two more robots plotting against me watching (laughs) my every move Uh, then maybe I won't have to do as much (laughs) anyways thanks for your thoughts on that we got one more topic today from David yeah I was at a friend's house recently and looking at his 512k Mac and just reminiscing how awesome that machine was when it was new and thinking about back then what would I have imagined was the next big thing I never would have imagined that you could have put what then have been a supercomputer on a piece of glass and carried around in your pocket in a few years which happened Uh, So that got me thinking, you know, what's the next inconceivable thing? Is it a thing in your ear, like in the movie Her, or is it a better implementation of Google Glass, or maybe something else entirely? Maybe it's smart shoes. I don't know. But uh, put on your fortune telling hats. Tell us what you think the next crazy big thing will be. You you made a a bunch of uh, interesting suggestions there that I think are all possible. I'm going to go a little bit wacky and say I think one of the things that that we are going to have a hard time conceiving of now that will be true in 20 years is that the nature of work and employment will be really different. I feel like we are going to artificial intelligence stuff and and, uh, and things like self-driving cars. You're going to see other sectors of our economy that are going to vanish because we don't need people to do them anymore. And I think the question is, what do those people end up doing instead? Um, how does that redefine what working is? Are we going to continue down the path of having fewer people working for big corporations and more people who are essentially freelancing as they're, as they're living? Not just sort of like professional podcasters and the like, but like everybody. Um, and I, I feel like that is going to happen, that some, some version of that is going to happen. And we're going to look back on even today and think um, that, wow, the, the world was very different in terms of what jobs human beings were uh, were able to to have and how we work for a living so that's I'm gonna throw that one out there 
I'm going to go with transportation. I feel like we talk a lot about self-driving cars and we, we think about it really narrowly in terms of the vehicle is going to drive us around or the vehicle is going to bring stuff to us. And I feel like if this, this is fully realized, what we'll end up with is a completely redesigned transportation system because the system that we have now is based on cars lining up and parking in places and stacking several stories high in many cases when we go to places and then taking a car away and parking it in some other place. And then transportation, and then uh, signals that are based on the way humans behave, as opposed to the way vehicles that are communicating with each other and the roadways are going to behave. And I always, uh, I mean, this is kind of wishful thinking on my part because I feel like that real promise of self-driving vehicles is the ability to completely uh, redesign city, urban environments, particularly, but in general, environments where transportation is at the center of the way things are designed, uh, to completely redesign them so that perhaps transportation takes up less. Space and causes less of an impediment to people actually trying to get around uh, by foot or trying to uh, choose the places and the ways in which they live. So I'm just going to go with transportation utopia. And I wish I had a really good answer to this question, but it is so hard, as you said, inconceivable. Um, you know, coming up with these ideas is it's tough to see things. I, I think back to all the science fiction I used to read as a kid, you know, that was predicated on sort of the, the sci-fi of the 50s and 60s. And everyone was like, oh, we'll be in space. We'll live on the moon. We'll have jetpacks and flying cars. And very few of any of them predicted anything like the internet, which was just such a huge, uh, you know, sea change for everything involved. Um, and so, you know, I tend to think those things are, you know, there are the, the big shifts are pretty rare and that more or less things in, you know, 20 years from now might look pretty recognizable, albeit on smaller scales. So I think we'll see things like more wearable computing, generally more mobile computing overall, like the idea of being tied to a computer at a desk, I think is is quickly evaporating already. And that will become even more so, I think, over the next 20 years. Um, and whether that means because we have displays in glasses or contact lenses or some sort of crazy hologram graphic technology. I've got, I got no idea. Um, I, I think also technology will just continue to be more abstracted away, you know, from the sort of the, the nuts and bolts. And so things like a personal assistance, like, or, you know, virtual assistants like the Google Assistant or, or like, you know, Echo or Home or whatever, I think are going to become more and more part of our everyday lives and will handle tasks for us that we don't necessarily have to get down into the nitty gritty to do ourselves. So rather than creating a calendar appointment in your calendar app, you'll just, you know, set up a, an appointment with your virtual assistant. So I, I think that, you know, in, if nothing else, I'm hoping technology sort of gets out of the way in a lot of places and just makes people's lives a lot simpler and easier. But I think it will also come with a side of being much more pervasive and much more about being connected no matter where we go at all times. So perhaps like now, only more so. Yeah, I'm with Dan. I think it's a, it's a lot of this miniaturization and the small components. I think the thing in your ear is really a thing. Uh, like even just the new Apple AirPods, I know it's very basic. It's basically a Bluetooth headset. But the idea of having Siri in your ear at all the time is going to be interesting. And as the virtual assistants get smarter um, or digital assistants get smarter, it's going to be really interesting to see how all this plays out. I read a lot of science fiction like you, Dan, back in the day. And, and I am very excited about seeing how all this stuff evolves. All right. That's four topics, Jason. Uh, how are we doing? Enough time for a bonus topic? 
Of course. The bonus topic this week brought to you by Linode, a combination of high-performance SSD-based Linux servers spread across eight different data centers all over the world. It's a fantastic solution for your server infrastructure. You can get a server up and running in less than a minute. Plans start at just $10 a month. And you can choose your resources, Linux distro, and node location all right from their easy-to-use manager tool. Once you're up and running, you can deploy, boot, and resize your virtual server with just a few clicks. Linode is great for tasks like running a private Git server, hosting large databases, running a mail server, Server, operating powerful applications, running your own podcast network, and so much more. With industry-leading native SSD storage and access to a 40 gigabit network, you'll have all the power you need to get your tasks done. As a listener to Clockwise, you can sign up at linode.com slash clockwise. That's L-I-N-O-D-E dot com slash clockwise. You'll be supporting us, and you'll get $20 toward any Linode plan, and there's a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. Go to linode.com slash clockwise to learn more and sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit, or just use Use the promo code CLOCKWISE20 when you check out. Thank you to Linode for supporting CLOCKWISE. All right, here's the bonus topic uh, based on what we've been talking about today. If you could give a name like Siri or Alexa or Assistant to an intelligent software agent, what would you name it? Shelly? So I know that we can change the voices of our digital assistants, but the identity that most of them have is female. And so I'd like to switch it up and I'd like my assistant uh, not to be a woman. uh, So I'm just going to call him Trevor. All right, Trevor. Dan? Uh, Much as I'd like to crib Jarvis from the Marvel movies, uh, I came up with one which I think I'm going to save and use at some point in the future. The Friendly Intelligent Digital Operator or FIDO. Hmm. David? I would name mine Cato after Inspector Clouseau's assistant because <laughs> like all digital assistants, it's very helpful, but once in a while it may kick you in the nuts. There's nothing like coming home and finding a bomb thrown at you from your virtual <laughs> assistant. And I, I don't know why, but I thought Friday. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name my personal assistant Friday. See, and all of you have joined me in ungendering or changing the genders of assistants, so I'm, I'm happy about that. <laughs> My Siri is is Brit is a British guy, so cool. just throwing oh, that out there. Well, my, my I was thinking of like a Gal Friday, so maybe. Oh, okay. Sorry, Jason. No credit for you. All right. Well, uh, we've solved a lot of problems here now in naming all of our virtual assistants when they arrive. That we're just we're, we're waiting for them, but uh, we're out of time. So it's just time to thank our guests for being here, Shelley Brisbane. Where can people find you on the internet? People can find me at iosaccessbook.com and read my book about iOS accessibility. Excellent. Thanks for being here. And David Sparks, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find out more about what you do? Over at maxsparky.com or relay.fm slash MPU. And Dan, we did it. High five. Woo! Woo! Seamless, as always. Just perfectly executed. I know. it's a, So you, you can't be perfect every time, but we sure do try. Anyway, we'll be back next week for another edition of Clockwise with two new guests and four new topics. But until then, we remind you, as always... Watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.